Hey, everybody, before we get into the show, we have a major earth-shattering massive announcement. Nikki? Yes, it is that time again, Pete Wright. Our monthly planning membership is open for enrollment. GPS stands for Guided Planning Sessions, if you don't know already. We've worked really hard here at Take Control ADHD to provide you with a service that not only gives you ideas and strategies on how to plan your day and your week, but it also provides time and space for you to do the work and not just by yourself, but with others who understand and support you. We meet every Monday and Thursday, and there are three different sessions for each day that you're invited to attend. We are dedicated to making this membership to be one that is transformative in the way you think about planning and taking control of your time and schedule. There are so many benefits to the GPS membership, so please be sure to visit our website at takecontroladhd.com slash GPS. Enrollment is open now through May 8th. Thank you for your time and attention, and I hope to see you soon. On with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with Nikki Kinzer. Hello, everyone. Hello, Pete. Oh, Nikki, our podcast today. Yay. Do you feel like, uh, I don't know, I don't know what you feel like. Like we've, we've known our guests for so long in so many different contexts. I know. I feel it's like, exciting. I feel like, like, like uh, we're just pushing a baby bird out of the nest. So that's what I feel like today. Go fly, baby bird. This is so awesome. We have so many great things to talk about. Uh, So let's get right to it. But before we do that, head over to TakeControlADHD.com and get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to the mailing list and we'll send you an email each time a new episode is released. Connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at Take Control ADHD. And as always, if this show has ever touched you or helped you make a change in your life for the better with ADHD, we invite you to check out our Patreon channel at patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. For a few bucks a month, you can join our community, get access to the members only channels over on our Discord online chat community server, and you can get access to our monthly uh, workshops, our live streams, early access to the podcast. It's, uh, uh, you know, we're trying to invest back in the community and the more help we get from you the better thank you all for for those who have already invested in this show and thanks uh to those of you who are still considering check it out patreon.com slash the hd adhd podcast hds and whatever all there (laughs) all of them are there that's right Nikki Kinzer, yes. our guest. I she has been a fantastic member of our community since she was a fitness coach. Uh, she was an instructor at fitness. I, we've been we've known her for so long, and then she comes to us and says, "You know what I'm going to do? I think this is awesome. I think I'm going to get into ADHD coaching. I'm going to go." And then she does, and she puts everything into it, and suddenly, boom. She's now an ADHD coach. It's mm-hmm. it's Tara Koch. And a great one. And a great one. We mm-hmm. adore Tara Koch. And we are here to talk to uh, Tara about uh, her experience growing up undiagnosed with ADHD, what it means to be missed. And it's kind of a follow-up on our last week's conversation with uh, Dr. Frank. And uh, we're excited to have Tara on the show and talk about her past, present, and future. Tara, welcome to the ADHD podcast. Hi. Hey. Thanks for having me. It's exciting to be here. 
Welcome, welcome. Yes. Well, we appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, this is a little bit different of a podcast that we've had in the past because uh, we really want to have you have an opportunity to share your story because I know there's going to be so many people that are going to relate to it and understand it. And uh, so where do you where do you want to start? Like, where should we begin? on who you are, oh. Tara. <laughs> well, I was born a baby. Yes. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, Kicking and Screaming with Will Ferrell, but that's how that movie starts. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I think a lot of it comes down to just um, my environment growing up. Um, I grew up in a town that both of my parents have lived in and or were born in, and my family is really big. I had a big, supportive, extended family. And I went to a small private school and I had the same classmates Mm. from preschool to eighth grade. Like there started with maybe 30 of us. And by the end, there was about 20 of us. But I knew those kids my whole life. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it added a lot of stability. I knew what to expect when it came to social things with the kids in my class because we just grew up together. And even with my teachers, um, this is something I never appreciated until dealing with it with my girls where every year it seems like they have new teachers that they might have never heard of before. But I always knew my teachers going into each grade level because there was just a small staff and changes weren't constant. It was like every few years we might have some staff changes, but you would have the same teachers year after year. I actually had one teacher from fourth grade to eighth grade who worked with me every single year. And so she knew all of us and there wasn't a lot of change in those aspects. Mm -hmm. Like um, even in the middle school years where you start changing classes, you know, we would have the one teacher would be the reading teacher basically for all of our middle school years. And the one teacher would be our social studies teacher for all of the middle school years. So even when things started to change, it was still extremely stable. And so I think that helped a lot to that I didn't struggle because there was no, there were no surprises. There's nothing to adjust or adapt to. And, um, I was in the talented and gifted program. So my intelligence made it so that procrastinating didn't really matter because it was easy. As soon as I decided to Mm. finally get to whatever the work was, Mm -hmm. I didn't struggle at all. So I didn't learn studying and prioritizing skills at all because I didn't need them. And then when I got older and I needed them, I had no idea. Well, where to it start. sounds like it sounds like mm-hmm. your teachers they knew you well enough that uh, they didn't they they realized there there was no intervention mm-hmm. really ever needed. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, that's. I think that's part of the struggle is that you know my ADHD wasn't negatively affecting me in those years, but I missed out on learning so many of those skills yeah. that like, I would need later on because I they didn't come in handy. Sure. It's like, they I, I, I like mm-hmm. myself to like building a brick wall with maybe 65% of the bricks. Like there are just these like massive holes yeah. that mm-hmm. you don't really notice if the wall still builds, you know, like if it's still there. It's just a less functional wall. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, things were easy basically until they weren't anymore. And I got to that point where my intelligence couldn't make up for my lack of organizing and study skills like with into high school and college where it just got a lot harder. So what happened with going to high school? Because I know from talking to you, you moved. 
And so, and then did you, so you went from a very small community of, of students and teachers to what we would consider like a normal kind of public high school or what, yeah, what, what did that look like? My freshman year, I went to the local high school in my hometown and it was like in that period, that first semester that my dad got a job in South Carolina. So it was actually halfway through my freshman year. So I did have this transition to from small public school to large or small private school to large um, public high school. And that was a little jarring, but I still had some of my kids that I grew up with at that school. And um, I was a cheerleader. And so I kind of had that to kind of keep me going. Um, but then when I went from that to the school in South Carolina, it was just a completely different situation because I knew nobody mm-hmm. and it was a much, much larger school. Um, it was really like the size of a small college campus. Like there were like multiple buildings and wow. it was um, really overwhelming. And um, yeah, that was a huge change because I was in a new place with new people and everything at home was different. Um, and it, it was, a, that's when things started to um, get really hard because I didn't have any coping mechanisms because I never needed coping mechanisms mm-hmm. in the previous situation. So it's like, even though nothing bad was happening, then it's like, I missed out on all of those skills. So then when things got harder, I didn't have any of them. Mm-hmm. So um, that's one reason I keep an eye on those things with my daughters because they're kind of in that state right now where everything is fine. But I know that there's things that are getting missed because they are smart enough to work around it mm-hmm. the way that I was. So I'm hoping I can fill in those gaps for them. What were some of the things that you noticed that when you did go to the larger high school that you struggled with? What what, what were some of the difficulties? I know a lot of it was just kind of feeling overwhelmed by how big everything um, was. Mm-hmm. And even in high school, I, I did still do pretty well with um, the academic portion of it. I was a notorious procrastinator, but I could always manage to eke out at least a B in on a essay that I wrote the night before, or, you know, like I was still able to get through it. It was very stressful. But I still managed to perform well in school for the most part. Um, but I think a lot of it was social, um, dealing with all those social aspects when you're in high school. And it just occurred to me recently that, you know, when I was dealing with a lot of this stuff, I was 14 or 15, but executive function wise, you know, that's so much younger. And so when I really took that into consideration, it's like, no wonder I couldn't cope once I made that big jump because you know, in the small private school, it was okay for me to be behind because it was such a safe and stable and nurturing environment that it made up for that. But then when you're just kind of thrown into this, you know, it's like the what, pond, small right. fish in a big pond right. type thing, you know, um, it's, it's a lot harder to keep afloat and, you know, figure out what's right, what's wrong and, you know, um, dealing and then, yeah, dealing with approval and stuff is so different oh, when yeah. you go from 
knowing everyone your whole life to all of these people are new. Right. Um, you want to fit teenager. in. And, exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, and any rejection, RSD becomes magnified by the number of eyeballs you imagine are watching you fail. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, As yeah. you start feeling the stresses of of just that that kind of social magnification. Mm-hmm. Totally. get Yeah, that. for sure. Well, yep. and if you were still able to get your work in, uh, mm-hmm. then I can see, too, where the diagnosis is going to be missed, right? Because we we see this right. as uh, it's so common as a gender bias, for sure, that if you're mm-hmm. not that hyperactive child, boy or girl, or however you identify with, and you're not you're not causing an issue, it's going to be missed, mm-hmm. especially if you have good grades, then they yes. really aren't going to think anything is different, right? Because, right. yeah, yeah. So well, they're not seeing me at home right. writing four page papers in, the night in the middle of the night. Due. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So um, tell us a little bit more about now looking back, because I know you didn't get diagnosed until what? You were in your 20s? It was last year. No, I, well, it was last year. So I was um, 31. Oh, okay. So it's still a very new diagnosis for yep, you. Okay. So yeah. you went 31 years. I have had a depression diagnosis for decades, for more than a decade, though. So okay. I've been in the mental health realm for a long time. Industrial so. complex. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so looking back, now that you have the diagnosis of ADHD, where do you think it it showed it, you know, growing up in high school and college and and I'm just curious what your thoughts are, kind of reflecting back and saying, oh, I wonder if that was ADHD. Oh, I, maybe that was, or you know, what your thoughts are on right. that. Right. Well, even going back a little bit further, I look at some of my um behaviors as a child. And I think, oh, that I feel like that's very typical of um, ADHD children. Um, I have a lot of sensory quirks. Mm-hmm. Um, my I could never have like tights or socks that had seams that went across the edges of my toes because it just made my skin crawl. And I always had to have the seam on top of my toes. And my mom loves to tell a story of when I got dressed up for a like a big um, family picture for my grandparents' uh, anniversary and she had little lace gloves on me and I just stood around the whole day with my hands up next to my face because I didn't know what to do with my hands with these gloves on them. It and everybody's looking at you okay. saying, look, she wants to be a surgeon. <laughs> yeah, so just like, like, what do I do with these? I don't understand. So I've always had a lot of sensory quirks, which I think can really be tied um, to ADHD. And um, some of my study habits in school, I always did my homework on the couch in front of the TV because I couldn't just sit where it was quiet. I would watch my show. The commercials would come on back when we had commercials and I would do as much work as I could during the commercial. Mm -hmm. And then it would come on again and I would watch and I, you know, it might take me a lot longer, but it kept me, it was almost like a reverse Pomodoro (laughs) with the TV show and the commercials where I knew, okay, I got to do this work now. But um, I learned some different, I had coping strategies. You know, I remember doing social studies homework where we would have to read this long chapter and then answer the questions. And at some point when I realized that I would read the whole thing and then go to the questions and then have to reread it all to find the information, I started to flip that and I started looking at the question and reading until I found the answer. And then I, you know, just those little things that made it a lot easier that I didn't have to double back constantly. Um, And then I was also very, I was a very 
physically um, sensory seeking kid too. When I would sit and watch, I wouldn't sit and watch TV. I would be on the floor doing like shoulder stands with my legs up in the air or like, you know, just being in all these weird uh, yoga type mm-hmm. positions when I didn't even know what yoga was, you know? <laughs> um, so that was definitely um, a big part of it. And even looking into like middle school and high school, I feel like I'm right at that border of kids who went through the phase where they were on the phone nonstop talking to their friends, like before it became just texting and messaging friends. Like, I think I'm right on the edge of that generationally. And I can remember talking for hours on the phone and just pacing the entire time. (laughs) I would have to find, I'd go out to my front porch and just nonstop walking because I couldn't sit and talk. There's no way that that was going to happen. And I still pace on the phone. It's um, well, that's yeah, one of the things my brain I, doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things I love about when we do our happy hours. Um, because we'll have happy hours every month with our, our supreme uh discord uh members, and and Tara has joined us on those for many of them, many and, years. Yeah, and she's always doing laundry or doing something, and then she'll talk, you know, <laughs> she'll contribute to the conversation, and then we'll see her little girl come in and who is adorable, <laughs> by the way. Yes. But yeah, I love that. You're able to know that that's how your brain works, and that's how mm-hmm. you process things. And and one of the things I want to point out with what you said about the reading, about reading qu- the question and then doing the reading, that is such a great strategy that any students out there that are listening to this or parents who have <laughs> students, let you know, tell them about that because it is it you figured out how to work with your brain without even knowing you had ADHD, right? Um, to make mm-hmm. it easier for you. Yeah. Right. Well, and for me, I think a big part of it is that sometimes if I'm reading something that I'm not actually interested in, the words are just kind of going through me and I'm not really taking any of it in. But when I have that question, I'm searching for that answer yeah. and it puts that it puts it all into context. So it actually makes more sense while I'm reading it because I know what I'm supposed to be getting from it. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I was just kind of starting there. And I feel like that's something a lot of people probably do. And I think as someone with ADHD, maybe it just doesn't occur that I can, that I could do it that way, that it felt like you read it and then you answer the questions and you should be able to just retain everything you read. Like, but obviously that's not true, even for a lot of neurotypical people, probably, you know? Um, But Yeah. yeah, so strategies like that helped a lot over the years. So earlier you were talking about looking for things in your own girls, like kind of seeing, you know, what gaps you can fill. I'm just curious what that looks like uh, for you as a mother, you know, looking yes. at, at at how, what they're doing and, and what are you looking for? Just curious mm-hmm. what, what you're, what you mean by that? Um. Okay. So it's, so I have three school-aged kids right now. My And my youngest is a toddler and it's, we would be the perfect case study for a psychologist because I really feel that each of my daughters has a different um, presentation of ADHD with my oldest being inattentive, my middle being a combined type and my young and the third being um, a hyperactive. And it's funny because with my, um, the hype, the inattentive and combined type, they are already struggling. And so I know that I need to get them help. My oldest has trouble focusing in class and retaining um, the information to do homework and all of those types of things where she always just feels overwhelmed and she can't get started. So for her, it's almost really, it's clear what we need to work on. 
And then with my combined type, a lot of it is emotional, um, a lot of uh, growth mindset stuff that we need to work on where she just feels like she can't do it. And if it's hard, then she just doesn't want to do it. It's She doesn't understand that gap where it feels hard when you're learning and that's normal. Mm-hmm. She just thinks it's hard, so I'm stupid and can't do it. So like with her, it's clear what we need to work on too. It's actually my third daughter who is hyperactive that I'm really l- watching for the warning signs. And I have been for a few years now because she is an academic rock star. Mm. And she just is so good at school and she's such a hard worker. And I, it reminds me a lot of how I was in school where it all just came easily to me. And mm-hmm. so there weren't any problems, but she has a lot of impulsivity and a lot of hyperactivity. And I'm worried that it'll be the same thing where she's so good at this stuff and so smart that those other skills like the prioritizing and the organizing are going to be really hard once that content exceeds her natural talents and abilities. Uh, once we get into the middle school and high school years and everything is a little bit more complicated and hormones always have a lot oh, to do with for it. Sure. Um, but yeah, with her, it's, for her, it's like I'm waiting for that procrastination to start so we can, <laughs> I can jump in there and say, okay, how can we stop this before it becomes a chronic issue? Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like, it's, I almost feel like sometimes when things are really good, that's when your deficits end up being really big in the end because you don't have to practice those skills yeah. throughout your lifetime. It's yeah. just a brand new thing that all of a sudden you're experiencing one day. And, um, For me, actually, I feel like it started um, in like my eighth grade year because I was in the Talented and Gifted program. And it always just been kind of an extra thing that we would do the work in class. We would miss our classwork when we got pulled out and have to make up for it. But for some reason in eighth grade, it ended up being above and beyond what we were normally expected to do, where it's like we would have to make up the work in class and then also have homework from the Talented and Gifted program. And that's when I really had that first, this is too much. I can't handle this um, sort of situation. I ended up dropping out of the Talented and Gifted program because I was like, it's more important to me to keep up with my regular schoolwork mm-hmm. than to put all of this effort into just an extra that's not really going to um, benefit mm-hmm. in the long run. So I feel like that was the first like sign of um, the cracks forming right. <laughs> and what had been an otherwise easy school experience. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great reminder to for people that are listening that grades are not are not the end all, right? In fact, you shouldn't yes. even necessarily look at them that that I mean, of course you you should. I'm not that's not what I mean. <laughs> but uh, you can be a straight A student and still have ADHD and still struggle at home and the teachers aren't going to pick up on it, which is exactly what happened with my daughter. So I think it's, you know, that mm-hmm. just having that message of uh parents, you know, really paying attention to when their kids are doing their work, how they're doing their work, because that can also definitely give you some clues on what might be going on, you know, right? I get a lot of pushback with my third daughter, who is the one who is hyperactive and really good at school. Anytime I bring up ADHD, and I think it has a lot to do with negative stigma that Mm -hmm. they feel like when I say she has ADHD and, you know, can we look out for these signs? They almost get defensive of her because they feel like I'm saying something bad about her. And it's like, no, that's, 
you can be super smart and super good at school and still have ADHD, but all of her teachers just get really mm-hmm. defensive because she's such a lovable kid. Yeah. She hugs, you know, pre-COVID, she hugs everyone. And they're just like, oh, there's no way. She's just, you know. And then I, I'll point out, well, doesn't she run out of the line to go hug um, another teacher across the, the, on the other side of the school? Like, doesn't that kind of show her impulsivity that she yes. can't stay there at her age? in the line, you know, she just does what she wants right on that spur of the moment. And then they are kind of like, oh, it's, then they still won't admit. <laughs> it is. I had the same exact situation and where I almost had, I felt like I had to convince the teacher, like, no, I'm mm-hmm. not crazy. Like, you know, what you're seeing is not, is not exactly real because I think that especially for, for girls who are people pleasers or who could feel like they're people pleasers, she was really good at at pretending like she could pay attention, you know? So she'd be like nodding, you know, (laughs) like, Oh yeah, I get you. And then she would have no idea what, what they were talking about, you know, or whatever. So it's, um, and that's just, you know, in defense of teachers, some, Point. Like that is I the know. that I, is the value, the <laughs> oh, incredible yes. <laughs> value. No, you guys, seriously, that is the incredible value of evaluations. Five hundred four IEPs. Those evaluations are multivariate because the teacher does not see everything, but one teacher might not see something that another teacher does see, and so to have that kind of reportage is critically important, particularly because, and I've this, I was thinking about something you said earlier uh, that I struggle with, because for me, you know, I'm inattentive, and I don't have great experience with the hyperactive stuff. I have, sometimes I'll, I'll have, you know, repetitive movement issues that I have to deal with, but generally I don't, I don't relate to it. And so when I have to come and and relate to my son, whose diagnosis is combined and and does have his hyperactive moments, uh, I really struggle in a in in what to me feels like a sort of normative, like neurotypical response. Like I can't relate to this what I'm seeing here as ADHD. Like, is this an energetic kid? Is this uh, is this ADHD? Is this a different? Is this like a different ADHD that is as yet undiscovered? Because it's so magical to me how this could be the same thing that that uh, is that fits in my lived experience. It's so crazy, and because we're related, it's incredibly frustrating for me not to be able to unlock that right so it's it is it takes so much more to communicate to remain centered to remain present and not let my own emotions kind of get out of control from of just like watching and experiencing those so stay in line those don't don't get in the grocery cart those you're too big for that right? and do you brush your teeth you look like you just ate a caribou and just like you know those kinds of things like well, while there's like running in circles and yeah so yeah. it's 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 hard well and i definitely want to uh add to your point, Pete, that I don't, teachers are wonderful. And I don't mean to, to say that they're not paying attention because they totally are. And it, and, and, and that I think is the issue with, with this type of misdiagnosis is that it's just so easy to get missed. And that's why, because they are doing great. And because specifically in many cases, I would say most cases, the teacher is acting in the defense of the child, right? Right. No, exactly. I was going to make that point too. Yeah. That's, yeah. That is yeah. their job to love these kids, teach these kids, and defend them as best they understand these kids. Again, value of multivariate 
uh, evaluations. Mm-hmm. And I have to give kudos to her high school teachers because now she's in high school and it's online, of course. And she made a comment to one of her teachers around her ADHD and they didn't know that she had ADHD. So they had con- they had contacted me and wanted to know more about her history and what was going on. And, and it was a wonderful conversation because now we're all on the same page and they can understand her more. And um, she's more free to, to say, I don't think that way. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. So yes, please. I don't want anybody to think that I think negatively of teachers because I love them. They're amazing angels. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny angels. though, because my mom is a teacher and she is one of the people who I think even before I had my diagnosis would say, you really should see something if she might have ADHD, but because she's just different at home and she's different around us. And I think, um, I feel like one of the things though is that, that I don't fault teachers for is it's the societal stigma of what ADHD is and the misunderstanding that it's only these negative things. And I think that's where it stems from. And there's even healthcare professionals who are supposed to be treating people with ADHD who have those same ideas. So I don't think it's oh, like it's yeah, any specific right. industry or You're job absolutely right, Tara. I mean, because last year or last the last show, I expressed that her doctors didn't think she had it, you know? So it wasn't until I had to really trust my instinct and keep going further with the with the um the 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 testing um, because yeah, they didn't either. So yeah, it, it's it's a uh, it's an issue on all all um, mm-hmm. all a, around an awareness. Yeah, issues. an mm-hmm. awareness issue. But I am curious, Tara. Um, you said you got diagnosed at thirty one. So what led to that ADHD diagnosis as an adult? Well, in high school, um, after the move, uh, it's fairly typical. I've seen it kind of reflected in some of um, Ned Hallowell's work and Sari Solden's work that in high school, a lot of undiagnosed women or girls with ADHD have some sort of mental break at that time. So that happened for me. And I've had a depression diagnosis since then. Um, And then in adulthood, um, after my third daughter was born, I hadn't been treated for depression in quite a while. And um, I had really bad postpartum depression at that time. And so then I continued getting treated for depression and it ended up getting changed to um, a persistent or it's dysthymia, which is like persistent depressive disorder. And um, that's what I had been diagnosed with for a really long time. And I even have a bachelor's in psychology and I had never even thought for a second about ADHD as a possibility for myself. It wasn't something I had ever thought of in that context. I was actually listening to a podcast and it was um, uh, Judge John Hodgman and they do these things where they kind of um, basically people send in the little disputes they're having with family members to get solved. And there was one that was kind of, it sounded like ADHD was maybe involved. And the guest at the time was a woman with ADHD who had just been diagnosed a year or two later. And when she shared her thoughts on it, it just was so clear that that's what I was also dealing with. Really? Like it was just in one instant. Wow. I was like, oh, wow. It's not that I'm depressed so I can't do all the things around my house. It's that I don't know how to do all the things around my house. I get overwhelmed and then I get depressed. It's almost always in that order. Um, so that's when I realized that it was the executive function stuff that was really stopping me from being happy. And it wasn't just 
depression in and of itself. And that's really when um, I started doing my deep dive. I think I joined the Discord community before I even had an official diagnosis. It was like, I had my appointment to get my diagnosis and I joined Discord because I was 100% sure that I had ADHD. (laughs) And yeah, it just, it was such a quick, a fast experience. It was so obvious. It was, you know, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty type of thing. <laughs> sure. What made you decide to go into coaching? About three years ago, when my youngest was just born, I finished um, my bachelor's in psychology. And my plan had always been to go on to get a master's eventually to be either a therapist or a counselor. Um, but because of my own mental health struggles, I've always been worried about it being a little too heavy helping people with all of their, you know, really difficult problems. So life coach in general has kind of always been in the back of my mind as a future career possibility. So then when I found out that ADHD life coaching was a thing, it just seemed like the absolutely perfect thing um, to... It's. I feel like it's a little bit more in between that therapy counseling and regu- like and just neurotypical life coaching because there is that mental health psychology aspect with the ADHD. So I think that is really what drew me in and it was, you know, just like this is the perfect thing to um do to get a career started because now that my youngest is 3, um, you know, I'm ready to be doing more uh <laughs> because I've been a stay-at-home mom and student pretty much my entire adult life um with part-time jobs here and there, but Yeah. So when I decided it was time to get a career started, it seemed like the perfect fit. And so far, I absolutely love it. So I feel like I've made the right choice. Oh, I definitely think you have. (laughs) What a great time, too. Weird how like the pandemic hits as you're making this transition. Like uh, it, it feels to me so much like all of these kind of latent behaviors people are discovering about themselves this year. If there is any gift, I'm, I know this sounds bizarre. 2020 is uh, just a flaming toilet, but just <laughs> in general, like what people are able to discover about themselves is they are pushed by, you know, nature and uh, and quarantines and general environment uh, it may lead to a really great awakening for 2021. Here's hoping. Yeah. Here's hoping yeah. 2020 is the ice cold glass of water to our faces that, that <laughs> allows us to wake up and realize, hey, there are people out there like Tara who can help. And, Absolutely. Um, and that's what we need. Good timing. And Tara, tell yes. the audience what kind of coaching. I mean, I know you do ADHD coaching, but you also oh, specialize yes. in some things too. So tell them yep. that. Um, I work specifically with women, mostly moms, but you don't have to be a mom <laughs> to work with me. Uh, I, we usually are working on things that relate to taking care of your house and your personal life, uh, sometimes time management. And a lot of it comes down to um, confidence and self-esteem and understanding your ADHD. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it, you know, especially if you're newer to your diagnosis, is just realizing that it's okay to celebrate small successes and that that can help so much in building up and making it easier to do the next thing. So I find that a lot of the people I work with and a lot of moms that I interact with in general, even when we do things well, it's just never quite good enough and we never let ourselves really celebrate. So that's definitely a big thing that I work on Mm -hmm. with my clients is, you know, just 
every success counts. It doesn't have to be perfect. (laughs) That's right. That's great. Well, Tara, thank you so much for joining us. I love hearing your story. I hope people can uh, learn a little bit more about you. Where do you want to send them to, uh, to, to find you online? Well, I am on Facebook and on YouTube. Um, at tarajanecotts.com and then um, for YouTube you just add that word slash YouTube to the end of my website address and it will redirect you and then I also do have um, a Facebook group that's specifically to support um, moms with ADHD so we can link that too in the description and you have you a website it. right yeah. so people yeah. can look at yeah. your coaching services yeah. and all of that right, right. Yeah, and we'll have that in the show, in the show notes, notes too yeah. yes alright thank you Tara um, thank you we Tara we so appreciate all of you for downloading and listening to this show. Thank you for your time and your attention. Don't forget, if you have something to contribute about this conversation, uh, we're always available on the Show Talk channel and our Discord server, so you can join us right there by becoming a supporting member at the deluxe level. On behalf of Nikki Kinzer and Tara Koch, I'm Pete Wright. We'll see you next time right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast. <laughs>